I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis. And I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. Your calling. As we begin this journey together, we'll spend this first section of the book understanding where you are. You see, you can't put together the plan for where you are going or what it will take to get there if you don't know where you're starting from. For the purposes of our voyage together in this book, let's refer to where you are currently as the harbor, where you sit safely anchored and tied to the dock. This represents your attachment to the experiences of your past and the identity you've come to assume over time. The thing about the harbor. The anonymous quote, you'll never cross the ocean unless you lose sight of the shore, comes into play here. To begin, we need to accept the idea that in order to end up where we want to be, we have to let go of where we've been. Lose sight of the shore. Let go of the harbor. Easier said than done. All of us humans live in a harbor that was either built for us by other people, such as our family of origin, societal norms, or religious beliefs, through the lens of the roles we've played, such as partner, parent, or executive, through the way we've assigned positive and negative value to the experiences of our past, or some combination of all three. Leaving what you know for what you need is scary. There is comfort in the familiar, even if it is not serving you. We cling to the stories we have been told about who we are and what our lives should be. We feel safe inhabiting the often limiting roles that we've inherited from our families, from society, and from our past. The trouble is, these preordained roles are often holding us back 
from where we want to go and who we're here to be. So as we prepare to set sail, we're faced with some tough choices. Are we willing to let go of the things that are weighing us down in order to cross the ocean? Can we make peace with what we'll leave behind? Can we accept that our decision to set off for new shores may make certain people in our lives uncomfortable? These are difficult choices, but the only way to become not just who you want to be, but who you need to be, is by rejecting the limitations handed down to you by society, your family of origin, your experiences, or your expectations surrounding what good girls do or how real men show up. It's time to wrestle with the way your past may be compromising your present. It's time to rewrite your story and to stop telling yourself that you aren't ready or capable enough to face the voyage ahead. It's time. In doing so, you'll be given the opportunity to leave behind the pieces of who you've been, what you've believed, and how you've behaved that don't serve what sits on the other side of this journey. The new, more whole, closer to fulfilled version of you on the other side of the ocean requires first that you make peace with leaving the harbor. Let go of where you are for where you're headed. Anchors up. Logbook. Journaling activity. In the following exercise, I want you to take stock of where you are today. Consider the following questions and write out your answers. Why haven't you already left your safe harbor? What are the internal and external forces that are keeping you confined to your comfort zone? What ropes from your past are currently keeping you tied to the dock? Has suffering become part of your identity in a way that makes trying to move away from it scary? Do you believe you deserve something better than what you currently experience every day? Sailboats and wind. Do you think you can be the man you were meant to be while married to me? In the midst of what was supposed to have been my best year ever, the floor fell out from under me as my then wife asked me this question. It was the beginning of our end. In the span of eight minutes, the identity that I'd clung to most closely, that of her husband, went from clear to blurry. Getting a divorce, a previously unthinkable and unexpected life event, took what had been a clear sense of who I was and where I was headed and turned it on its head. My ex-wife and I were not only life partners, but we were in business together, which made things especially complicated. The question of who I was, both personally and professionally, when our marriage ended, shattered my vision for the future and left me needing to imagine something new altogether. It turns out that's what happens when you make plans and life has different designs. 
I know I'm not alone in this experience. I spent a year weathering the storms of identity shift, grieving what was. I confronted the terrifying and exhilarating experience of staring at a blank canvas and deciding what my new life would look like. During this turbulent period, I would often sit out on my back patio listening to music to calm my anxiety. Music became my way of manufacturing peace and maintaining focus when the storm surrounding me felt disorienting and overwhelming. I dubbed this sacred space my patio of peace. Among the many inspirations was a singer-songwriter named Ben Rector, whose songs felt like they had been written specifically for my trek into the unknown. On highest rotation was Ben's song, Sailboat, in which feelings of despair and hope are held in equal weight over the course of just a few chords. The lyrics mirrored my feelings of having been pushed out to sea, lost from what I knew, waiting for some kind of wind to blow me back home, back to something that felt normal again. I feel just like a sailboat. I don't know where I'm headed, but you can't make the wind blow from a sailboat. I've listened to this song 4,241 times and have cried every single time it came on. Tears of grief for what had been, tears over giving up on the illusion of control, tears of hope for what could be, the promise of the next shore, the promise of finding a new purpose. But I'm not giving up. I'm going to move on forward. I'm going to raise my sail. God knows what I'm headed towards. I never lost faith that I would find that new purpose and reach the next shore. But I had to accept that I wouldn't be able to control the timing or the conditions. Turns out that's how faith works. Faith is knowing you'll get there, even if you don't know how or when. Only change I see, lost or found at sea, the only difference is believing I'll make it in. Whatever storm you are weathering, be it a relationship change, the loss of a loved one, a professional challenge, or the general funk of a life that ought to feel like more than it does, keep the faith. The lost are found at sea. You will make it to the next shore. So we start this journey with a promise that this season is building something in us that we may never have known we had, the courage to make it back in. The choppy waters of these unfamiliar waves enable us to emerge new, different, better, and stronger when we hit the land on the other side. If you're feeling despair today, lost at sea in an unrecognizable world, find the courage to raise your sail. It may seem impossible at first, but it's my hope for you that in this book, you will tap into a power far greater than your fear that already knows what you're headed for.
As much as this book will dive into how to get to where you're heading, one of the first and most important acts is belief. Believing you will make it. Cultivating the courage to believe that you deserve something more. That you are resilient enough to keep going when it gets hard. You will only become who you aspire to be by facing the fears that inevitably come up along the way. And even if you are not feeling fear now, I want to prepare you for the fact that you will at some point in this journey. Pushing into new spaces invites your insecurities in a way that will find you at times floating and waiting for wind, and at other times, disoriented by the raging storm. The thing you need to keep sight of today and any day when those feelings emerge is the guarantee that you will ultimately find your new self. You will reach the shore on the other side. It is there. It will always be there. And you will get there, not in spite of the conditions you have to travel through, but because of them. Logbook, journaling activity. Make a list of every hard thing you have been through in your life to this point and how you overcame those challenges. Read over your list. Remember how you felt when you faced that storm and when you overcame it. Then draw confidence from your past successes and open yourself up to the work that is needed to rise in this moment. You have been lost at sea before. Reconnect with your ability to stay strong, to be patient, and to practice resilience. These abilities grow stronger each time you are tested. Seeking Stillness The fast-paced modern world is often at odds with an essential ingredient required for connecting with our inner selves and our desires. Stillness. As a result, we must be intentional about slowing down and making the time to rest, reflect, and dream. Engineer quiet moments. Cultivate calm. There are various ways of doing this. Some of us choose meditation, some a hot bath, others time in nature or the solitude that comes in a long run. In late 2019, to find the next level stillness I needed to manufacture my ambitious best year ever, I traveled to a place in the desert outside of Tucson, Arizona, where for three days I sat on a rock, alone. Open notebook, no technology, no agenda. Well, okay, there was a small agenda. I was on a mission to find my purpose. Little thing. As previously described, I felt unmoored. As I drove to the airport, an Avicii song came on, and I started to cry. Out of nowhere. I mean, I like this guy's music, but this was about something else. On an assignment to find myself, I worried that I might come back having discovered that there wasn't anything to find. 
Maybe I would sit in nature for three days only to discover that happiness and fulfillment were things reserved for other people, but not available to me. Maybe I had been so consumed by the identities of husband and father that I no longer knew who I was. A special blend of people-pleasing, codependence, and a desire to be loved had me familiar with acquiescing to the needs and interests of my closest people so much that I was unable to answer the simple question, what do you like to do in your spare time? I'd spent so much time trying to be, and often failing completely to be, who my partner and kids or parents or my church or society wanted me to be, that I lost sight of who I wanted to be, who I was meant to be. Couldn't even tell you what I liked. I'd lost touch with my true desires and my passions. Anyone relate? When I ventured into the desert, I had recently finished reading a book by Ryan Holiday called Stillness is the Key, and I challenged myself to see what popped up when I did as his book recommended and made stillness an intention. In testing his hypothesis that any season of chaos or crisis you find yourself in can be better navigated by slowing down and tuning out the noise, it turned out to be a powerful experience and one that I can't recommend enough. So I sat out there in the desert and scribbled my thoughts in a small green notebook with a ship scrawled on its front. My first entry read, well, I'm writing in a journal. How exciting. Then I drew a straight-faced emoji. The notion of being alone, of giving myself permission to take time away from my family and work felt strange. The idea of doing this without a detailed agenda felt even stranger. By filling up a notebook with the things I didn't even know I was thinking, I was able to have the breakthroughs that were needed to create the kind of life I wanted in the coming year. In that notebook, I cast a specific, detailed vision for how I wanted to emerge on the other side. 38 single-lined pages describing how I'd tend to my health and my mindset, cater to my personal passions, invest in my faith, and draw closer to my most important relationships. I even included the most intricate nuances of how I'd dress, carry myself, and feel when I looked in the mirror. The detailed inventory of the life I wanted came complete with insights into how I'd have to show up if I actually wanted the life I'd been writing about. Never having journaled before, I had no idea how powerful this practice could be. I wrote in my green notebook for three days, almost without stopping. When I'd start each journaling session, the first 20 minutes or so were a warm-up to get out the things sitting at the top of my consciousness, thoughts I already knew I'd had, the stuff I needed to do, details that were causing stress and anxiety for me that I was already well aware of. But then, after the 20-minute mark, something magical would happen. I'd write things that I wasn't even aware I'd been thinking. 
Now I was tapping into my subconscious, where I'd been pushing down feelings and storing up my unprocessed emotions. By deleting social media from my phone, carving out this time, and setting an intention with stillness, I was finally able to see and hear what I hadn't been able to in the busy day-to-day of normal life. Before I left the desert, I had a vision for the life I wanted going forward. While some of the details still needed polishing, I knew I wanted to tackle a massive physical challenge in my first marathon, but still needed to train. I knew that I wanted to craft a career out of writing and speaking, of making an impact through the tools I create, but hadn't yet fully stepped out from behind the scenes. As much as MrDaveHollis.com might become a destination for these tools, I wasn't yet a published author, coach, or podcast host. I'd only just begun to speak on stages. Most of this was still just an unrelenting tug from my intuition. I didn't have all the answers, but I did have direction. Using what I discovered in the desert, I began to approach my search for purpose in an entirely new way. My morning routine now included space for silence, journaling, and meditation. I still went for my usual long runs and bike rides, but I intermittently went without the music that had always fueled me, allowing myself to be with my thoughts. My back patio, the every evening destination to slow down and listen to my emotions from the day. It turns out that stillness isn't just a valuable resource for getting clarity on where you are. It's also important for maintaining sanity once you've committed to ditching the harbor. Deciding to move away from your familiar will introduce chaos in your life. And that chaos will take you under unless you have a way of regaining equilibrium. The storms you encounter at sea will initially leave you wanting to cut your journey short and return to shore. Slowing down, getting patient, and creating space to process what you're experiencing is the only way you'll be able to make it through. Only in the calm, away from the chaos, can you nurture the courage you'll need for the journey. The stillness I experienced during my three days in the desert gave me clarity once I returned. I had the answers to the question of where I was headed. I could clearly see the connection between who I hoped to be and the kind of work I'd need to do every day to get there. This is something I'll discuss further in the Linear Journey Ahead section as we dive into an exercise I call If Then. As in, if I want this kind of life, then I need to do these kinds of things to get there. Slowing down and stepping away from my regularly scheduled programming during my time in the desert made me question whether that programming should even exist at all. It made me consider what mattered and what didn't. You don't need a desert. It may be a patio chair, closet floor, 
yoga mat, or parked car that does the trick. You don't need three days. It may be 30 minutes before the kids get up or a two-hour self-care Saturday each month. You do, however, need to fight to create intentionally still moments. The world around you runs on noise. Never-ending marketing from companies trying to convince you of what you desperately need. The news business betting they can keep you just scared enough to keep tuning in. Social media's comparison trap that has you triggered hourly by how your real life stacks up to the curated highlight reels of the people you follow. That noise creates a chaos that will never allow you to get to the bottom of what actually matters. That incessant clamor drowns out your ability to focus on how you become who you were meant to be. So turn down the volume. Intentionally create time in silence in a slowed pace to allow yourself the ability to see where you're going. And wouldn't you know it, when I returned from the desert, not only did I have a clear vision for the life I wanted to live and what it would take to get there, but I was also able to make a list of the things I like to do in my spare time. I'm a nerd for sports memorabilia. Actually enjoy running. Am carving out time to learn how to play the guitar, a thing I always wanted to do. A seemingly small assignment that led to so many interesting breakthroughs about where my passions lie in my search for why. Praise be. The Hubris of a 23-Year-Old I love sports. Always have. Baseball, football, basketball, Frankly, anything with a ball, I'm in. It's at the core of my being. Half a lifetime ago, when I was 23 and working one of my first jobs out of college as a coordinator in 20th Century Fox's publicity department, the Super Bowl was being played in Miami. At the time, I was making $22,400 a year and eating the wildly underrated chicken-flavored Top Ramen four nights a week to afford my L.A. apartment. More than anything on earth, I wanted to work the game that Fox was broadcasting that year. I was young, inexperienced, and had little to offer show producers, but I went to management anyway and asked if there was a way for me to be part of the event. I made my best case. They said no, explaining that it wasn't in the budget to send me out there and that they hoped I understood. They appreciated my passion, but it was a hard no. Their point of view was difficult to argue with. On paper, it made sense, given my lack of experience. So I did what any cocky 23-year-old would do, I marched back into my boss's, boss's, boss's office with a copy of a plane ticket to Miami that I had bought for myself and suggested that I was willing to do literally anything that might help. Of course, that ticket was way more than I could afford, and buying it meant that ramen would be on the menu seven nights a week for a bit. 
but it felt like a smart trade-off at this point in my life. I also convinced my best pal Paul, who was actually working at the event, to let me sleep on the couch in his hotel room. I knew I could be of value to the company down in Miami, even if they couldn't see it. I heard the reason they couldn't have me, it's not in our budget, and I eliminated it. And my boss's boss's boss, a guy named George, said yes. Shaking his head, he agreed to a thing that didn't make conventional sense because he was impressed with my initiative and my willingness to do whatever it took to get there. I'd found a way to overcome my lack of experience. I was assigned to assist the producer of the pregame show, a grizzled industry veteran who'd worked countless Super Bowls. As you can imagine, when he found out that I'd be working the show with him, he was as excited as you could imagine he'd be at having someone on his team who had no experience. Not excited. When I arrived on site, he gave me a mission. Get a Hall of Fame coach from a makeup chair to the broadcast booth. Point A to point B. So you're saying I have one job, I asked him. I can do this job. Thank you very much. Eventually, this coach, whom I had watched and revered my entire life, whose name even the non-sports fan might know, was ready to be moved, and I was eager to kill my assignment. We were just a few steps out of my producer's earshot when the coach said to me, Kid, we gotta make a quick pit stop. He told me that he had four field passes that he couldn't use and that we had to run out to the parking lot to find a scalper. Um, this was not on my itinerary. I barely got here. I had no idea what to do. I was the kid who didn't toilet paper houses. Rather, I was the lookout safely down the street. I got good grades, had a wild time at youth group, and stayed out of trouble, usually for not having been invited near it. I can still feel the knots in my stomach at that moment. He might as well have offered me crack. I was terrified of screwing up my new job. I did my best to explain to him that his detour wasn't possible. We didn't have time. We didn't have approval. I'd committed to ramen to be here. He put his hand on my shoulder, nodded, and very confidently said, I'll take it from here. He was not worried. This wasn't his first rodeo. I assumed my familiar role as lookout as he went out to the parking lot to sell the tickets for $10,000. It took four minutes. I felt like I was in Goodfellas. Once our little adventure was over, we made it to the booth just as planned, just as I had been asked to. And as we said our goodbyes, he slipped me $500 for being a trusty accomplice. Back to ramen for just four nights a week. Not long after returning to Los Angeles, my initiative was rewarded. I'd been working on a show called The X-Files. When a decision to take the show on a nationwide tour came up, they asked if I would consider taking on the role of talent wrangler. In addition to my Monday through Friday responsibilities, I jumped at the chance to fly with the cast each weekend 
to old blimp hangers and creepy abandoned buildings that fit the show's otherworldly aesthetic. The success of that tour helped me land my next job at a public relations and talent management agency where I took on a roster of personalities like Ricky Lake and Melissa Joan Hart and corporate clients like Sports Illustrated. The experience provided extraordinary growth and a broadening of my set of skills. In many ways, it all came back to my unapologetic advocacy for myself and the creativity required to turn a no into a yes. By sharing this story, I don't mean to suggest for a second that your journey into the unknown should veer into crimes and misdemeanors. But I do think that many of us, myself included, would do well to reconnect with some of the hubris and ambition of our 23-year-old selves. And if you weren't as confident or driven as I was, you may borrow some of mine. There was plenty to go around. Channel that willingness to do whatever it took to turn a no into a yes in life. Roll with the punches that an unfamiliar journey may throw your way. Connect to the courage you had before the world sold you fear and you accepted it at face value. When I think of that Miami Super Bowl experience, it brings me back to a point in my life when I pursued my dreams like I had nothing to lose, when I didn't know enough to accept no, when I didn't have reservations about chasing who I was trying to become. I was 100% driven by my passion for broadcast television and sports, willing to look like a fool and even prepared to forego a short-term balanced diet to reach my goals. On the days when I get nervous about what's next, I try to reconnect to this younger, dumber but braver, more confident version of me. The guy who bought a plane ticket he couldn't afford to advance his career. The guy who went along for a ride because it was part of what it took to get the job done. This decision to leave your safe harbor and pursue your dream will require you to make some uncomfortable moves. You will have to face your uncertainty and push past your fear. So channel the ambition of that 20-something version of yourself who would have done what it took to stand on the field while Cher belted out the national anthem or whatever your equivalent of going to the Super Bowl might be. Have the courage to manufacture opportunity when other people try to tell you what you can't do. Push back against the fear of being rejected. Acclimate to the uncertainty you'll inevitably face. It will be well worth it. Logbook, journaling activity. Write a letter to yourself from your younger self who was full of dreams, believed in endless possibilities, wasn't as afraid, and had more confidence, even if it wasn't yet supported by experience. What would that dreamer tell you? How might that young person encourage you to believe again as you did then? What would you have me accomplish? None of us consciously chooses to stay in our suffering. 
But fear of the unknown often causes us to rationalize staying stuck in the familiar even when it's not serving us. We opt for what we know, being okay with just being okay over the freedom that sits on the other side of our fear. Layer on top the way we worry about what other people will think of us as we're getting our sea legs in this new adventure. How easy is it to convince ourselves that we'll make our move when we can do it without publicly failing, or when we can do it in a way that will not inconvenience them, or when we feel like we have their permission, or when we find a way to do it and still be deemed acceptable by their standards. When never comes. Your fear will always exist. Their opinions will never go away. You're faced with the tough choice of either casting off or denying your true self, talking yourself out of your dreams, quieting your intuition, and ignoring that you may have been placed here for a reason in an attempt to keep others happy and avoid facing your fear. At what cost? At the expense of your fulfillment? Your freedom? At the expense of feeling proud of yourself? At the expense of your kids having someone they'd do anything to become? At the expense of the legacy you could have had? At the expense of intimacy of anyone ever getting to know you? The real you. So often, the person who finds themselves stuck is asking, what would you have me accomplish to the wrong audience? They're asking the opinions of other people. They're asking the doubts and fear of their own insecurities. They're asking the hard things they've been through in their past. They're asking the antiquated programming from their family of origin the societal norms offering how to play it safe and be deemed good. None of these are the audience for that question. None. Catering to what they would have you accomplish will only leave you unquenched, longing for more, as the not-quite-proud, partial version of yourself, denying the intention of the only audience worthy of the question. How do we gain the confidence needed to take this leap? How do we give ourselves permission to leave the harbor? As we close this section of the book, the answer comes in understanding how you might honor the intention of your creator. Our deepest feelings of happiness come when we can fulfill the measure of our creation. You were created for a reason deliberate, meticulous design of the billions of people on this planet, of the billions more who've ever lived, you are the only one ever created as you. The way your brain works, the things that you're great at, the way you experience all your feelings and everything that you've been through, they are all exclusive to you. A limited edition one of one. And in this deliberate design, an intention was cast for how you, and only you, might wield these gifts. 
What would it mean to fully unlock the gifts intended for this world by becoming who you were placed here to be? What would it mean to accept that you were made this way on purpose? How might you feel compelled to pursue your dreams if you believed with every part of your being that those dreams were intentionally gifted to you by a creator who hoped you'd act on them. Each of us is created with a unique set of talents. Each of us is given the gift of a distinct set of experiences on this planet. That gift comes with the mandate to share our skills and wisdom with the world. If the nature of this voyage overwhelms you, can you find permission, even motivation, in knowing that it was ordained by a power beyond your own, intentionally, by design. When I was at a low point, stuck, overwhelmed by fear, and unsure of myself and my ability to step off the dock and into the ship that would take me into the unknown in the aftermath of divorce, my friend Ethan Willis said something that allowed me to cultivate the courage to keep going. Fulfillment and power will flow through us when we recognize that we are part of something greater and tap into a capacity beyond our own. That capacity beyond our own comes from a higher power. For me, it's a God I believe in as a Christian. For you, be it my God or not, my conversation with Ethan boiled it down to asking two important questions of our higher power. What did my creator specifically design me to do? What would it mean to shift the plea from help me accomplish these goals to what would you have me accomplish? Our talents and life experiences are our passport, our mandate to do the things we feel called to achieve. Embrace your calling. Surrender to it. Ask, what would you have me accomplish? And when the answer comes in the form of the unrelenting whisper of your intuition to do something that scares you, the way your heart races when you dream so big you're bound to fail along the way, the way your gut instinct draws you in a certain direction that you're not yet totally prepared for, or doors open for something you just know you have to do even though you don't know how you'll do it, step off the dock, step onto the ship, sail toward your fear, through the opinions of other people, over the waves of dogmatic thinking against the current of societal programming, to freedom, to becoming who you were meant to be. You were made this way, on purpose, you can't fail as you fulfill the measure of your creation. Looking for permission to come aboard? Permission granted. Let's go. Logbook, journaling activity. In the back of your notebook or journal, bookmark a page and at the top, write out the question, what would you have me accomplish? As you work your way through this book, Every time you get a clue, hear a whisper from your intuition, or feel a sign present itself, open to your bookmarked page and add it to your running list. 
This isn't a question answered quickly, but it's also a question that's never answered if we don't ask it. Why, oh, why? Can I quickly address one of the biggest ways that you're going to sabotage your progress before we even begin? You're not going to want me to do it, but I've got to. Here it is, making excuses. Excuses for not maintaining healthy habits, for not sticking to a morning routine, for not moving your body enough, for not getting to bed early, for not asking for help when you need it, for watching TV instead of reading, for saying yes when you need to say no. Stop making excuses for why you are not currently doing the things required to unlock the possibility of the life you say you want. You'll either tilt the odds in your favor by intentionally engineering the kind of life you deserve through the commitments that come with it, or you won't. Hard work alone doesn't guarantee the life of your dreams, but a lack of discipline eliminates any possibility of even getting close. You got to connect to a why that's stronger than your excuses. My why starts with honoring the intention of my creator, believing that I was placed on this planet with deliberate design and the responsibility for action that comes in having been endowed with so much potential. My why is about how I hope to feel about myself when I'm by myself and know I've given my best effort. It's the drive to show up for the life I believe I was built for and deserve. It's the model I aspire to be for my children, acting like the kind of adult I hope they each become. It's the impact I seek to afford others as a tribute to the unique talents I've been given. And as you'll see in the Finding Your Why section at the end of the book, your why is also about the intersection of passion, it sets your heart on fire, mastery, it's something you're great at, impact, it brings needed light to the world, sustenance, it can create financial security for you. Now, if you struggle to know what your why is, or don't have one currently that's stronger than staying stuck, do not panic. As I mentioned, we finish this book with a deep dive into how you find your why, what may be keeping you from connecting to it, and how to access it as leverage to keep you focused and motivated. The reality is that we rarely feel like doing hard things. I definitely didn't feel like waking up this morning while it was still dark and going out to my garage gym to work out. But I did it anyway, because doing something physically challenging first thing in the morning helps set the intention for my day, makes me feel strong, and keeps me believing I can handle whatever the day ahead holds. Pushing myself to exercise every morning, even when I feel like making excuses, unlocks how I hope to show up for my kids, my friends, my team, and myself. I have this written on my bathroom mirror, bottom right-hand corner, for the days I start to reach for an excuse. It's a reminder that the life I aspire to live means doing the things that help me get there, even on the days I don't feel like it. Don't feel motivated? 
Awesome. Me either. Who cares? Do it anyway. I say it out loud, laugh at how ridiculous it sometimes feels, and then I get my stupid running shoes on. And you know what will happen once you stop making excuses for why you're not currently doing all of these hard, good things and you just do them? You're going to feel a deep sense of pride and satisfaction for making and honoring commitments to yourself. So, are you willing to step outside of your comfort zone? Are you willing to show up on the days you don't feel like it? What are you willing to sacrifice in order to feel proud of yourself? Once you're able to generate that pride, you'll also foster the courage necessary to get back up when life throws a curve. The sense of satisfaction you'll feel when you keep the commitments you've made to yourself is a momentum-building motivation hack that will allow you to keep going when others have long given up. Find yourself a why that matters more than your excuses, and there's no limit to what you can achieve. Logbook. Journaling activity. Think back to a time when you remember being proud of something you'd accomplished. In your journal, detail what that felt like. How did you carry yourself? How did your feeling of accomplishment affect other areas of your life? Can you see the connection between feeling proud and feeling courageous? Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller, with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of the Hollis Company.